Amen. Thank you, Tony, for sharing that testimony of God's faithfulness. He, uh, he, so Teresa Weaver's sitting right here. She just got in town a couple weeks ago for a little while uh, from Albania. Scott and Susan Downing are sitting right back here. They'll be in our missions week uh, this coming week, and we're a part of this church for about five years, right, before uh, God called them uh, back to, to Chad in Africa to serve as missionaries, and Darren and Becca are over here. They serve with Wycliffe Bible Translators, and Tony and Kelly, and we praise God for calling people out of these seats. And I'm praying for some of y'all to get called out of your seat. Some of you very specifically, I'm praying for you. Uh, I won't tell you why, but uh, just kidding. Man, I am so grateful to be a part of a church that is a part of the Great Commission, going into all the world to preach the gospel to every creature, teaching people to observe everything that God has commanded and baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we got to celebrate that today. So grateful for Adam and Denise and their, their commitment and decision, public statement of faith this morning. Man, I, I'm already blessed. Thank you for a great time of worship team this morning. The song that Arthur led us in, Jesus Messiah, that starts with these words, he became sin who knew no sin that we might become his Righteousness. We're going to talk about that idea this morning. So, thank you for being with us. Thank you for those of you who are joining us online this morning as well. We're in this series in His name. We're talking about the names of God and how God reveals Himself to us by revealing His names to us. We started off by looking at the name Elohim, which means the mighty one. We looked at God as creator. He, he is above time. He is above eternity. He, he is transcendent. He's above everything that we can comprehend. He's above all that because he is the mighty one. And as a result, um, we, we, we stand in awe and wonder and reverence of this mighty God. Arthur led us the next week to look at Adonai. Adonai means the Lord of all. And, and he is the Lord of all things. He is the Lord over our lives, but he is also the Lord over all of the, the trials and principalities and powers that seek to do us harm. He is the Lord over everything. And so we submit to him as Lord and we allow him to act as Lord in our life and king in our life. Then we looked at the name Yahweh, Yahweh or Jehovah literally means I am that I am. It is the name that God chose to reveal when Moses said, what's your name? What should I tell people? And he said, I am that I am. It is the self-revealing, covenant-keeping God, I am. And last week, we looked at a compound name of God. We looked at the name Jehovah-Rohi, which means the Lord our shepherd. And we looked through Psalm 23 and John chapter 10, where we see the Lord as our shepherd. We looked at what that means. And today, we're gonna look at, I think, probably the most complicated name to pronounce, okay? So we're gonna put it on the screen, and it's this name, Jehovah Sidkenu, has a T-S. We don't have a lot of those in the English language. But Jehovah Sidkenu, everybody say that with me. One, two, three, Jehovah Sidkenu. That name means the Lord our righteousness. The Lord, our righteousness. And we're going to see this morning that he is our righteousness. 
I'm going to ask you to stand up with me real quick, and we're going to read the text for this morning, two verses out of the book of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah is the only place that this name occurs, but the reality of this name is fleshed out all throughout Scripture, and so we'll look at those. So why don't you read this out loud with me, okay? Then I'll pray. We'll get into the message this morning. Jeremiah 23, 5. Read with me. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will raise up a righteous branch for David, he will reign wisely as king and administer justice and righteousness in the land. And verse 6 says this. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. This is the name he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. Let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning for revealing yourself to us through this name, Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. Lord, give us ears to hear, open our eyes to understand what you are teaching us today through your name through this truth, that you are our righteousness. Conform us, transform us into your image. Thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is truth. Help us to hear and obey this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, you can have a seat. Well, this name for God that appears in Jeremiah chapter 23 is really pointing to Jesus Christ, who would come as Messiah. Hundreds of years after this scripture was written, this was a prophetic scripture that pointed to the one who would come. Put that back up on the screen, guys. Verse 5, it says, The days are coming when I will raise up a righteous branch for David. Scripture is clear that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, uh, in his human lineage came from the line of David. In Luke chapter 2, we're told that, that Joseph and Mary go to Bethlehem, which was the city of David. That was where Joseph's ancestors came from, and that's where Jesus was born, in the city of David, because he was of the line or lineage or heritage of King David. And so in this scripture, we're told that there will be a righteous branch for David. Think of it this way, you know, a family tree, right? Seen a family tree, there's a tree, and then there's all these branches off the family tree. Well, Jesus would be a branch on the family tree of King David. Not just any branch, he would be a righteous branch. Because all of us have some branches on our family tree that we would rather forget about. You know, we all have that crazy uncle or, you know, that one guy that we pretend isn't really part of us, right? But Jesus was the righteous branch of King David. He is the son of David, he's called in the New Testament. He will reign wisely. He will administer justice and righteousness in the land. And then verse six tells us, in his days Judah will be saved, Israel will dwell securely, and he will be called the Lord our righteousness. This is pointing to Jesus Christ who would come as Messiah, as the anointed one, the chosen one, out of the line of David, and he would become the Lord our righteousness. So this morning, we're going to see why this is so important, why the prophets from many, many generations before Jesus came were pointing to this one that would come to be our righteousness. 
It's pretty simple. It starts with this. God is righteous. He is the Lord, our righteous, but he is also a Lord who is righteous. God is righteous. He is right in all that he does. He's never made a mistake because he is perfectly holy and righteous. Scripture puts it plainly. Psalm 145 verse 17 says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all his acts. The Lord is righteous. Psalm 119 verse 137, David says this, You are righteous, Lord, and your judgments are just. He is righteous. In 1 John, the author John uses uh, figurative language to describe the Lord's righteous. He, he um, kind of differentiates between dark and light, and he says this. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light, and in him there is absolutely no darkness. He is righteous. He is light. There is no darkness. There is no fault. There is no mistake. There is no nothing that would keep him from being perfectly righteous in all his ways. God is righteous. Everybody say that with me. God is righteous. One, two, three. God is righteous. All right, now everybody say this with me. We are not righteous. One, two, three. We are not righteous. God is righteous and we are not. Scripture is really clear about this as well. Romans 3 verse 10 says this, very simply, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Goes on, there is no one who understands, there is no one who seeks God. You see, we have this God who is righteous, and on the other hand, we are not righteous. Not even one of us, not even for a minute, not even a little bit. In the book of James, uh, there's a scripture that says this, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one little point, he is guilty of breaking them all. In other words, even if you were almost perfect, you would not be righteous. If you make one little mistake, it's over. I mean, you are unrighteous. When, when you think of, um, so people make fine china. And they make these things to be, to be perfect and they're really expensive. But if they make a mistake on one, they just throw it out. Because it's not worthy to be sold. It's not worthy to be purchased and owned by anybody because it has a flaw. And so they try to make these things that are perfectly flawless. But the truth is, because of our limitations as human beings... Nothing could ever be made perfectly or flawlessly. And in our own lives, we could do a lot of good things, but it still does not bring us to the level of God's righteousness. There is no one who is righteous, not even one. That's why in the book of Isaiah, chapter 64, the prophet tells us that even our best efforts, even, even the really good things we do compared to God, are, are filthy. Here, here's what he says, Isaiah 64, verse 5 and 6. You welcome the one who joyfully does what is right, and they remember you in your ways. So it's saying God wants those who have done right, who, are, who remember him in all their ways, but the problem is we have sinned, and you were angry. And how can we be saved if we remain in our sins? 
Verse 6 says, all of us have become like some unclean thing. All our righteous acts are like a polluted garment, a filthy rag. Even our best efforts, even our righteous acts that we think are righteous are polluted by unrighteousness or sin. Right now, um, we are living in the world of the face mask, right? I, I try to keep my car clean, and I, I've got four kids, so that's a full-time job, just trying to keep, you know, matchbox cars and, and pencils and snacks, and there's goldfish smushed in the floor. But now another part of keeping my car clean is picking up disposable face masks off the floorboard of my car. How many of you, the floorboard of your car right now, there's just like disposable face masks everywhere, right? Yeah, I find them everywhere. They're all over my house. When I walk out in the driveway, they're laying in the driveway, right? I, I found one this past week. It was a cloth reusable face mask, and it was like in the gutter of my driveway, like in the mud, and really, it was gross. And, and we've got oak trees, and so all the acorns are like crushed up in the, in the gutter right now, and it's this gross, muddy water, and it's just nasty and dirty. And there was this face mask, and I picked it up, and I thought about taking it inside to wash it and reuse it, but I thought, this is real gross, so I'm just going to throw it away. But I, I was thinking about this, this passage that even our best efforts are like a, a polluted garment or a dirty face mask, right? This face mask that's supposed to protect us from germs and, and, and COVID and now the flu and the, the cold, all of it's going around. But this face mask that I found on the ground was, was nasty and gross. And if I had put it on my face, thinking this is, this is, fa- is going to protect me from the germs, I probably would have got Ebola or something. I don't know, because it was just nasty down there. And it's kind of like that. We think our righteousness is doing something for us, but Isaiah says, no, it's nasty. It's like a filthy face mask that you found on the ground, a polluted garment, he says, even our best efforts. Thanks a lot, Isaiah. I mean, I thought I was doing okay, and you're kicking a man while he's down. God is righteous. We are not. Even in our best efforts, we don't attain the level of his righteousness. In fact, Isaiah says it's, it's filthy in comparison to him. Not only that, Our unrighteousness brings God's judgment. Because of our unrighteousness, God must judge our unrighteousness. Romans chapter 2, verses 5 and 6 says, Because of your hardened and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath. When God's righteous judgment is revealed, he will repay each one according to his works. God is righteous, we are not. Our unrighteousness must be punished. Paul says we're storing up wrath through our unrighteousness. And on the day of judgment, he will repay each one according to his works. Romans 6, 23 puts it this way. Very simply, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, we're going to get to that second part of the verse here in just a minute. But it tells us that the wages of our unrighteousness, of our sin, the penalty for that, that God must judge, he, the judgment that he meets out is death, spiritual and physical. 
The wages, the penalty, the payment for sin is death. So we've got this problem. We've got a righteous God. We are not righteous. Even our best efforts do not come up to the level of his righteousness. And our unrighteousness must be punished. So we need help. We need a savior. And praise God, he made a way through Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. Romans 3, 23 through 25 puts it this way. By the way, it's a lot of scripture today. And some of it's really good. So if y'all wanna say amen or yeah, or you can do that. So here we go. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation. Let me tell you what that word means. It's a fancy word. It's a Starbucks word, right? Like a venti frappuccino mocha latte with a little hint of soy milk and propitiation. Um, it, it literally means mercy seat. It's pointing to uh, something in the Jewish law, which was the place that the priest would make a sacrifice to pay the penalty for sins. And it was at the mercy seat that the blood of the sacrificial lamb would be poured out. It's where the propitiation for sins would take place. This, is, this idea of propitiation means that Jesus Christ's blood was poured out because of our unrighteousness. So verse 25 again, God set forth as a propitiation by his blood, that is Jesus' blood, through faith, that is our faith, to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance or patience, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. God made a way through Jesus Christ as the penalty, the payment, the propitiation for our sins. Colossians chapter 2, 13 and 14 says this, when you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave all of your trespasses or unrighteousness. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. Amen. Romans 5 says this, for while we were still helpless, Helpless because God is righteous and we are not and our unrighteousness must be judged and so we were helpless. And while we were still helpless, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse eight says, God proves his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then since we have been justified by his blood will we be saved through him from wrath, the wrath that we were storing up for ourselves. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more having been reconciled will we be saved by his life? Amen. God is righteous, we are not. Our unrighteousness must be punished and so God made a way through Jehovah said, canoe the Lord our righteousness. God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were sinners and unrighteous, he sent Christ to die for our sins, to be the propitiation, the payment 
the atoning sacrifice at the mercy seat. He spilled his blood for us. Colossians tells us that he took our sin and nailed it to the cross. Did this for us. But what I want us to see this morning is there's two parts to our salvation. There's two parts to his righteousness in our lives. We just looked at the first part where he forgives our sins. He, he takes away the penalty of our sin. But he also doesn't just forgive us of our sins, but he also makes us righteous. You see, I could forgive you, but you could still be a scoundrel. <laughs> the fact that I chose to forgive you doesn't necessarily change the fact that you've hurt me. But God not only forgives us, but he also gives us a righteousness that is not our own. He becomes our righteousness. We're going to look at scripture and what it says, but I want you to see right at the end of this Romans chapter 5 passage, put verse 10 back up on the screen. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, so that's the forgiveness and reconciliation part then how much more, having been reconciled or forgiven, will we be saved by his life? His death brought forgiveness, but his life gives us something else. We're going to look at that. His death was perfect, but his life was also perfect, and that matters as we're going to see. Here's an illustration to help us think about it. If you've been arrested and, and, and uh, charged with some crime, probably charged with a felony, you serve your time, you get out of jail, as far as the court system goes, you have paid the penalty for your crime. But for many people who have been in that situation in their life, they still have this record that's following them around. And... Many times they have a hard time getting the job they want to have. If they want to vote, they've got to go through a long process to try to get the ability to do that again. There's, there's places and things and people that are off limits to many people who have a, a record in their past. When Jesus saves us, he doesn't just, he didn't just pay the penalty for our sin but he also made a way that our record would no longer say this is an unrighteous person. The penalty has been paid, but they still, they, you know, they were, they messed up. I'm going to forgive them, but they're still, they're still lousy. <laughs> let, me, let me read 1 Peter 22 through 24 and talk a little bit about Jesus' life. 1 Peter 2, verse 22 says, He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. This is this two-part thing. Jesus died for our sins so that we could live for righteousness. He, he took our sins on himself. 
And he did it perfectly. This scripture tells us as he was being beaten, as he was being mocked, he didn't get upset. He didn't threaten. In fact, the words he said were, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He lived a perfect life and died a perfect death. He is righteous. He lived righteously. He lived in a way that no one, we can't even comprehend it. Because as Isaiah says, our best efforts are tainted by sin. Sometimes we do good things, but our motivation for doing those good things many times is so that people will look at us and go, ooh, look at them. (laughs) That's sin. All of a sudden, that good thing we did just, (laughs) it's not good anymore. So Jesus lived a perfect life and died a perfect death. He bore our sins, verse 24, verse 24, 2 Peter 2, 24. He bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. You see, Jesus was perfectly righteous and died for we who were unrighteous on the cross. And through his death, the penalty For my sin and your sin was paid. God's wrath was met with Jesus' death. But Jesus did something else for us. He didn't just forgive us our sins, but he clothed us, gave us a brand new identity by imparting to us his righteousness. Here's what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. It was the beginning of the song we sang. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, not just forgiven, but also declared righteous. When God looks at us, not only are we someone who has been forgiven, but we are also someone who stands before him righteous. He sees Jesus Christ when he sees us because we are clothed in Christ. Here's what Galatians 2.20 says. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself For me, my life is hidden in Christ. We are in Christ. Philippians 3, 9, being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith, the righteousness from God based on faith. Not just forgiveness, but also righteousness. We kind of talk about these terms a lot in church, mercy and grace. Mercy is forgiving our sins. Have mercy on me, God, a sinner. But grace goes beyond that and imparts to us righteousness and blessing that we do not deserve. Isaiah 61 gives us a picture of what this looks like. Isaiah 61 verse 10, the prophet says, and and he's looking to Jesus Christ that would come. This is prophetic. I rejoiced Greatly in the Lord, I exalt in my God, for he has 
clothed me with the garments of salvation and wrapped me in a robe of righteousness. He has clothed me in the garments of salvation and wrapped me in a robe of righteousness. So we sing the song, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, dressed in his righteousness. Actually, that comes at the end, but I'm just putting it here. Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. We are dressed in his righteousness. (laughs) Halloween was yesterday, and little kids were wearing all these costumes There was Mario and Luigi and Black Panther and Thor and, you know, all the going around everywhere dressed up in these costumes. My son David was Black Panther. He's not really Black Panther, guys. He just looked like Black Panther, kind of. The mask was huge. It was, like, bigger than his head. Jeremy was was Mario. He's not really Mario. He even had a little stick-on mustache. He hated that thing. When we had to tear that off at the end of the night, it was, it was not good. On our own, we are not righteous. But we are clothed with Christ's righteousness. He forgives us of our sins, but he also clothes us in righteousness. Now look, are we just splitting hairs here? Does that really matter? I, I think it really does matter. And here's why. If we don't understand that he is our righteousness, that we are not righteous on our own, that we are righteous because of Jesus Christ, then we might be tempted to to grow proud. Right? I'm a child of God now, and, and all you people are not. So there. We've all met those Christians before. Romans chapter 3, verse 27 says, where then is boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By one of works? No, on the contrary, by the law of faith. For we conclude that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. If we don't understand that Jesus Christ is our source of righteousness, we might be tempted to grow proud. Then Romans chapter 2 tells us, Once we grow proud, we might be tempted to judge others. It says, therefore, every one of you who judges is without excuse. For when you judge another, you condemn yourself, since you, the judge, do the same things. But this is what we do when we misunderstand God's righteousness. We try to redefine terms and we try to make ourselves feel okay. and, And we might be tempted to boast We call this legalism. Jesus saved me, but now I follow all the rules. And the problem with that is not, by the way, we should follow the rules. We should seek to follow God in every area of our life. But we do it through the strength of Jesus Christ in us, our hope of glory. He is our righteousness. We don't will ourselves He has made us righteous and given us the power to live out his righteousness. Here's a way to think of it. If you are a saint, a child of God, you might sin, but it doesn't make you a sinner. 
Now, if you are a sinner who is not a child of God, who has not put your faith in Jesus Christ, you might do something good, but it doesn't make you a saint. It doesn't make you a child of God. It's Jesus Christ in us. He is our hope of glory. We might be tempted to boast and judge. This is the sin of the Pharisees in the Gospels. Jesus Christ over and over said, you think you understand the law. You think you're following God, but this is about, this is about you. This is about you guys putting a yoke on everybody and trying to make everybody else feel bad and elevate yourselves. When we don't understand that Christ is our righteousness, we might be tempted to think that, yeah, he saved me at the cross, but now I'm doing pretty good. Look at me. On the other hand, we might be tempted to beat ourselves up. In Romans chapter 7, Paul says, guys, I don't know what to do. The things I want to do, I don't do those things. The things I should do, I don't do them. The things I shouldn't do, those are the things that I keep on doing. He says, who can save me? And then he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then Romans chapter 8 starts with these words, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because of the righteousness of God. Because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ that we have been clothed in through faith. He didn't just forgive us, he also gave us his righteousness. And it matters because if we don't understand it, we might be tempted to grow proud and boast or we might be tempted to beat ourselves up and live defeated. Or we might be tempted to redefine righteousness altogether. We see this in our culture today. We live in a postmodern culture and we're redefining everything. And even Christians are trying to redefine what is righteousness and what does it look like. There's a theology called progressive Christian theology, and it's so prevalent in our culture. And they take a little bit of truth that, that, that God is love and that we are called to love God and love our neighbors, and then from there they distort the righteousness of God and make it into this basically humanistic, man-centered approach to feeling good. And that's not what the Christian faith is. The Christian faith is this. God is righteous. We are not. Our unrighteousness deserves wrath and punishment, but God made a way through Jesus Christ for us to be forgiven, but also to be made righteous before God. And that righteousness is not based on our human effort. That righteousness is also not based on our reinterpretation of what righteousness should look like. Romans 1, verses 18 and 21 says this, God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth or change the truth to fit their own agenda. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, they became worthless and senseless. Their hearts were darkened. If we don't understand God's righteousness and Christ's righteousness in us and that we are in him, we might be, attempt we might be tempted to grow proud and boast. We might be tempted 
to live defeated and beat ourselves up, we might be tempted to try to change the game altogether. The truth is, if we don't have a proper understanding of the Lord, our righteousness, it really affects every area of our life. It affects our relationships because if we don't understand that our righteousness comes from God, then we start to look at other people and go, well, you didn't, I did this and you didn't do that. I know no married couples have ever said anything like that to each other. (laughs) But it could happen. Not understanding that he is our righteousness, that our righteousness is from him, it's not our own. We can be tempted to, to try to posture in relationships. I did this, so if I did this, you should do that. But when we understand that he is our righteousness, it brings a humility in our lives. It brings a graciousness in our lives. It brings a level of patience and forgiveness in our lives because we understand that he has extended those things to us. It it affects us relationally. It affects us emotionally as we either live defeated or we live in pride or we try to change the game altogether. It affects our culture. Our culture either lives in in these two extremes of of liberalism, which is changing things. It's saying God God says this, but that doesn't fit our culture of today, and so we want to tweak it a little bit. Or legalism, extreme conservatism, that this is the way it is, and I'm good, and you're not. And we see people as the enemy, And we don't extend grace to other people. And it's because we don't have a right understanding of God's righteousness through Christ in us. I'm not right. Christ is right. My opinion doesn't matter. Only God's opinion matters. And when I start to think that my thoughts are really good and I'm not turning to God's word for truth, then man, I get things messed up bad. The divisions in our culture. Look, Christians, we got to live in unity. That was Jesus' prayer for us. And if we don't understand that our righteousness comes from Christ and Christ alone, and we start to think I've got it right and they've got it wrong, and they start to think I've got it right and they've got it wrong, in our relationships, in our churches, in our culture, in our workplaces, in everything we do, if we don't understand the righteousness of Christ in us, on us, clothing us, things just begin to break down. Both of these extremes, either the, the kind of uh, prideful judgmentalism or the, or the changing things to fit our own image, they, they both miss the importance of Christ being central. They both become man-focused just in different ways. But praise God for this truth. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God because he is Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. And so, 
What does this name mean for us? Well, maybe you've been tempted to live pridefully and judgmentally, looking at others as the enemy and thinking you're doing pretty good, you're over here and look at all those bad people over there. When we understand that he is our righteousness, then there's no place for that. Romans 3 says, where is boasting? (laughs) It's excluded, guys. Or maybe you've been living defeated. Maybe you've given up and, and instead of living a life pursuing the Lord, you've said, I can't do it. I mess up. I keep messing up. I just give up. He is your righteousness. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, he has forgiven you of your sins and he has made you righteous to stand before God. You can live in that truth and live out of that truth. Or maybe some of you have been trying to change the game to fit your own way of thinking. You didn't give up. You just said, well, I think I'll just do it this way. I think I'll just pick and choose the things that I want to out of Scripture so that I don't have to feel bad about myself. If we judge ourselves by ourselves, we're missing the boat. He is righteous and we are not. And even if we try to change the rules so that we can call ourselves righteous, it don't matter. Because <laughs> the righteous one gets to make the rules. He is righteous, we are not. Our unrighteousness deserves judgment, but thanks be to God, he made a way. That while we were still sinners living in our unrighteousness, he sent Christ to die for us. To pay the penalty for our sins and to give us a robe of righteousness. And we can live out of that truth, that reality. We can live empowered by the Spirit. Now maybe there's some in here who have never come to a place of putting your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. The righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ from Jesus Christ comes through faith. What do you put your faith in? Well, you put your faith in the fact that there is a righteous God. You acknowledge the truth that you are not righteous. You acknowledge the truth that your unrighteousness deserves judgment. And you put your faith in the reality that Jesus Christ came to pay the penalty for your sins and to make you righteous before God. When you put your faith in him as Savior and Lord, he becomes your Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, your righteousness. Your righteousness. It's personal. Transforms your life. Changes your eternity. It empowers you for daily living. 
And maybe you've been struggling in the culture of our day. Maybe you've been struggling in relationships. And maybe it comes from a lack of understanding that he is our righteousness. And so this morning, I just want to invite you to stand. I'm going to pray. You can stand now. If there's anybody who just wants to come up here and just spend some time with the Lord this morning and maybe you haven't been living out and understanding his righteousness in your life, just come give that to the Lord this morning and allow him to help you, ask him to help you understand that and live out of that. Maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. Man, I would love to pray with you this morning how you can know Jesus as Savior and as the Lord your righteousness. Dear Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you that you are our righteousness. All of our hope is in you. And all the glory is to you. You're the light of the world. So Lord, as we sing and just reflect back to you your goodness, your greatness, your righteousness. Remind us who we are in you. God, help us to live that out by extending grace to others. By living in your truth. By seeking to know you more. God, for any who need to make decisions today, I pray that you would give them the courage to step forward. For any who don't know you as Savior, God, draw them through your spirit. Give them the courage to step out and come put their faith in you today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing this song as a song of commitment this morning. God is speaking to your heart. I invite you to come. Let's sing out together. He became sin who knew no sin.